Now is the time to reinforce your bowling arsenal, and BowlerX.com is the online leader in price, service, and selection. With free insured shipping on every item we carry, including a complete line of Pro Shop supplies, as well as balls, bags, shoes, accessories, and more. Also, check out the large selection of closeout and discontinued items at a fraction of their original cost. BowlerX.com, your online bowling superstore and proud sponsor of Above180.com. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg and Joey Serrar are ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, from Washington, D.C., and the Bowler's Pro Shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here are your hosts, Tim Berg and Joey Serrar. I'd like to welcome our guest this evening, Jeff Riggles. Uh, it's hard to give an introduction for you, Jeff, because you have so dang many titles. Uh, I, I don't think we really need to, do we? Uh, don't waste the time on it. People can look it up on my blog if they want. <laughs> I, I mean, you, you've had your moments and, and a good share of, of fun moments, and, and you've been able to share them with teammates. And, and I mean, you've got something different coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks, starting next Tuesday. Uh, you're going to the U.S. Senior Open, your, your first, and the Senior Masters following uh, the following week. Uh, my question basically would be, how do you mentally approach these tournaments differently? And I, I know you've bowled regionals, so you have experience in that respect. But how do you approach it differently to get yourself ready for these events as opposed to a team event? Well, um, I, it's, I'm just kind of taking it as it comes. Um, basically, I'm bowling against the same guys who beat my brains in and sent me home um, when I spent two years on the tour in the 80s. So I don't have an enormously you know, high level of expectations. I'm mostly looking at it as a chance to, to have a little fun, hopefully make a little money, tax deductible vacation to Vegas. Um, but I'm going to be real serious about it, too, at the same time. Um, you know, I'm going to get my rest, hit the gym, and uh, not not be a, a Vegas party animal while we're bowling. And, uh, you know, the one hole that exists on my resume that I would really love to fill um, that I never did when I was on tour was to win a national PBA title. And uh, I guess the senior tour, I would never pretend that a senior title is the same as a, as a regular PBA tour title, but it's all I got left. And uh, if I could win one against uh, a field that would include Pete and Walter Ray and M. Leto and Bob Learn and, and all those many guys, um, and then, you know, the guys that are out there dominating now, Lenny and Ron Moore and, and still trades, um, you know, that would, that would be kind of the last thing that I really wish I could do in my, my whole career, that and maybe winning the Peterson. But <laughs> um, it, it's just that's, that's kind of the, the, the thing that I'm chasing. But uh, if I don't, ever win one and the few that I'll get to bowl, it's not gonna it's not gonna be that big a deal to me. I'm I just wanna have a good time and can compete with the guys and uh, do do the best I can. So so you do approach it differently than you do a, a USBC open championships in that at least the way I'm seeing it, when you go to those tournaments you have a realistic chance to win a title of sorts. Yet going into this PBA event are are you basically looking at uh, a good showing, a, a basic cashing, as opposed to an actual winning of an event? Well, yeah, it's a totally different outlook. If I, I speak to the USBC Open Championships first, I mean, with the team I'm with, 
Uh, I think we're still young enough that, I mean, when we went there this year, uh, we were we went there with the goal to win, and and I think a realistic chance still. And maybe we're kidding ourselves a little bit. One of these years, we are going to be too old. Mark's fifty-one now. I'm just a couple months shy of fifty-one. And you know, I mean, we're we're getting up there, but I still think with if uh, things work for us, we can still win. And I, I think as good as we take care of ourselves, we probably have another five years, maybe a touch more where it's a realistic chance, at least for the team and the team all events. I mean, I don't think I'm probably not going to shoot any 820s to win singles or anything at this point in my career. But, but the rest of it, I think I got, we have legitimate chances for, and we take it real seriously. And we spend a lot of time preparing and, you know, the practice sessions and the communication. And, and we go out there giving every ounce of it. I mean, it's emotionally draining when it's only three and then six more games in two days. I, I'm just spent at the end of those. Nine, I was again this year, even though we didn't really threaten any leads other than shades and singles. But uh, the, the the senior tour events I bowl, like these two majors coming up, uh, you know, I I don't really have a set goal. I believe in my heart that if I had, if my wrist held up and I had a career week, um, I can make a TV show. I proved that on tour um, once. Uh, I needed. One strike, that was the last bowler left in the tournament, one strike to make the TV show, and I threw one of the greatest shots I ever threw in my whole career, left to ringing Ken. And uh, Sam Macron made the show instead of me, and he ended up winning that title. So I know that I'm capable of putting myself into position, or at least I was, against these guys um, when I was on tour. I only did it once, but I did do it, and my wrist is um, better than it was probably then. Um, it just doesn't have the stamina. And if I can somehow find a way to make it hold up over um, a lot of games like we'll see out there, then, you know, I, I think anything can happen. And I still am competing against guys that are way better than me and proved that when I was on tour. But if you have your career week and and that sort of thing, I think I can make it. And especially that second tournament is the Masters. And in that, I don't have to beat everybody in the field over 48 games or everybody but a couple of guys to make a TV show. I just have to make match play, and then i got to beat individual guys in three-game matches, which is um, a whole different ball of wax. you just got to beat the guy you're facing one by one by one. And I think there's a lot better chance for uh, um, you know, for someone like me to, to win perhaps the Masters. And there's a few days break between the two tournaments, so my wrist will get a couple days to rest and relax. And I think physical stamina, other than my wrist, is an advantage I have because I am only 50 and I'm a gym rat. So... Maybe the Masters is a little better chance for me, but, uh, you know, whatever happens, happens. I'm not saying that I'm not taking it seriously, but, it, yeah, it's not the same as the Open Championship, the whole different animal. It's For one, it's just me instead of a team, too, which gives it a whole different feel. Well, Jeff, uh, let's talk about, because everyone follows your, your blog, the 11thframe.com blog, as far as your preparation for the USBC Open Championship and how you guys prepare. So for this single tournament, the single tournament between the Masters and the U.S. Uh, Open seniors, uh, how do you prepare for that? Do you go out and practice on the pattern? Like you said, there are a lot of games that you could be bowling and subjecting your wrist to. So will you go out and try to find a place that will put out a, a, a very challenging pattern for you? And will you throw on it, or do you just... I mean, because I'm guessing you don't bowl on a house pattern to begin with. So, you know, your lane play and everything, or do you try to set out, find a place that will put out the pattern so you can see what equipment matches up the best with, uh, with no, the I'm, shots? I'm not, I'm not even going to worry about that. Um, I have seen the, the uh, I've seen both patterns. They're both roughly two to one or a, a slightly softer. I think uh, U.S. Senior Open actually is only 1.9 to one, and uh, the Masters 
it hasn't been posted, but the basics have been posted, so I couldn't even practice on it anyway. Um, I know what they're going to be like. Uh, you know, they're going to be relatively tough. They were, other than last year when they were both a little soft and high scoring, they'll be back to the way they were most years, which is, is pretty low scoring. And basically, you just go out there and react to what the lanes give you. And you got to, I mean, it's not like a three game set where you, you can't really have a game plan. I'm going to bowl one game on one pair, then I'm going to move to another pair, and then what's out there is going to be dependent on how the guys in front of me played them. So. I mean, trying to develop a game plan for, for that is just you don't have a team you can work with and all that. So that just doesn't work. And I've been trying to stay sharp. I've old two senior regionals last weekend, and and uh, i just basically going to try and use my moxie to try and get out there and uh, and read the lanes as quick and as best as I can and make good ball selection and good lane play selection. So, so and Jeff, make spares. <laughs> well, obviously we need to make spares, but... Uh... When you approach these tournaments, uh, both the U.S. Open and Senior Masters, uh, we know the importance of equipment in today's game. We know the importance of lane playability, as well as reading breakdown and transition. And we know the importance of execution. In other words, how consistently we not only release the ball, but get to the line with balance and speed and projection and loft. Of these three factors, do you put any more importance on one of the three, or do you just kind of let things come to you in the moment and then make your assessments and judgments then? Whew, boy, that's... Is that, a, is that too a, much? <laughs> well, that's, just a, that's a great question, and I don't know that there's really a definitive answer to that. Um, I think that if you're going to win a tournament like this, I think you have to excel in all those areas. Um, and uh, I, I think probably the tougher the lanes are, the more important lies in your execution, especially spares, but just making a consistent release. Because if the lanes are really hard, you can have the ball that maybe, quote-unquote, matches up best to that pattern. But if you're throwing it all over the place, it's not going to matter because you still got to hit a small spot and, and hit it consistently. And if you're hitting that small spot and hitting consistently, since carry is not probably as key as it is on a higher-scoring, easier pattern then maybe not having exactly the right ball or best ball in your hand that you brought along is as key. I mean, you might have a, a few that you can choose from that will get you to the pocket and, and if, you, if you're throwing it good. So I, I think execution is probably more important. And, and also, and obviously, the spares. But, but then it's, it's seeing what's happening, feeling the lane and seeing the lane and moving to the right spots and going pair to pair. What I always say, the harder the lanes are, the more important the first two shots of every game are because – you got to go to that next pair, and it's going to be different than the one you came off of. And if you make two good shots to start with, you'll be able to read, well, i got to move in two and one on this lane, or i got to throw it a little harder, or grab it a little more, whatever it might be. And if you make a bad shot in the first frame and get a bad read, it might send you spiraling down to a, a 150 game real quickly if you make bad choices. So I, I think that the shot making, the harder the lane condition is, the more important that the, the consistent shot making is. That would just be my personal opinion. Well, Jeff, I, uh, let's um, let's go back a little bit now. I want to take you back to um, the U.S. BC Open Championships this year sure. in Reno. Uh, your 11thframe.com team, you know, you guys hit the lanes. You guys, a, a lot of people follow your blog and will go and 
and watch your preparation, what you write about, how you guys plan on attacking the lanes, how you guys prepare for attacking the lanes. I know our crew, we do the same thing. We watch what you guys do and watch a lot of the, the streams and everything. So going back, uh, since you you know we all have hindsight, it's always twenty twenty. Is there anything, because the lanes ended up being uh, very wet dry for you guys, is there anything that maybe you guys would prepare a little bit differently or you guys would, would change things knowing now what you know then or would you have done things a little bit different? Oh, God, we do. Yeah, we'd absolutely do things different. I mean, we we shot 300 pins less than what's leading. So, obviously, we, I mean, I'm sure we didn't excel in shot making, but uh, our game plan was flawed uh, quite clearly. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we definitely do things different. I think we basically gave people who watched us a great primer on what not to do, and that's to have all your guys playing on top of each other, which astounds me because I think the greatest advantage, and this is what I wrote, the greatest advantage our team has had over the years in our group is that we basically have 10 guys who are capable of, of playing right on top of each other very consistently in terms of speed and rev rate and, and angle, and I think that usually is our biggest strength, and I think this year it was our downfall. And uh, I guess, number one, the pattern's a little softer. There's a little more of a buildup to start with, but number two, I think it's that, uh, that ice oil. Um, it just, uh, it's, it's strongly held up in the middle and uh, probably carried down a little bit more, and uh, it, it, we just made it so wet dry that, uh, that boy, I mean, you, you, all you have to do is go watch us throw balls wide and go Brooklyn and trip the six-pin for strikes on shots that were not bad, and then a couple of times either leave two pins or Richter on one shot washed out on a shot that when it was off his hand I thought was perfect, and I'm not kidding you. I mean, he turned around looked at me, and we laughed. It was just like we just did it completely wrong, and if I could go back and do it again, I would uh, take, probably three of our guys and quickly get three or four, maybe, you know, three to four boards left of where everybody else was and try to blend it out just a little bit more. All in the same zone, say, 8 to 13, but, you know, you'd have six or seven guys in the 8, 9, 10 range, but after, a, you know, a couple of frames, I think I would have got me and Steve and, I don't know, Wally or Tom Howry and, and get us in closer to you know, 12, 13, 14, and try to just blend it out more because we just clearly um, made them so wet dry. If you watch that video, it's just comical. It looked like we were bowling on a, on a house shot that we made wet dry. And the funny thing is, is that I don't want to be a blamer of Kegel Oil because if people could look at the DVD of our miners' events and see what we did there, I'm telling you, if that miners' pattern was the team pattern, we would have finished in the top five. I'm certain of that we would have made a run at winning because we made that miners pattern so nice i mean shady literally could have had you know 870 to 900 uh i mean he had 783 and john zerbinski is one lucky man that he's still leading singles because i mean shades had four ringing tens and one week 10 and i think he had one shot that three sixed and um i think he had one light mixer seven pin and that was it i mean he could have had a big 800 and uh we made that uh made it made it awesome i think we shot about 33 50 or something like that in in our in our singles maybe a little bit more and we were intentionally richter gail and i were intentionally playing the lanes to 
to save as much shot for Shady at the end of singles, the last game and a half or so, game two, game or two of singles. So, Jeff, I have a, a follow-up question to your game plan. Uh, uh, you have five brains on that team that really know how to analyze conditions and you know each other's game so well. I mean, it's not five individuals. I mean, you work as a team. Who actually finalizes the decision on the finalized game plan? Is it a group effort, or is it one person that makes the final decision of the best way to attack them, be it right or wrong? Uh, it, it's Typically, it's a three-way group effort between Steve, Richter, and Shades, and myself. Um, and, you know, gathering info from people, practicing on it in a variety of places, and just talking among ourselves about what we think. And then we have a team practice session, and we've given everybody, okay, here's what the three of us think. Um, here's what we're going to try. And then we do it. We usually have eight guys there for the team practice session because Shades is in Pennsylvania and Brett's and Faulkner's in California. But usually we can get the eight of us there. And then we sit down, we go out to Legend Larry's in Sheboygan and have some wings and beers and talk about what we did there, and everybody gets their say that wants it, and then the three of us go back and exchange information. We, we video that as well, videotape that, and sh and Shade gets to watch that videotape, so he gets to see how our practice went, if you can believe that. And then the three of us, with all the input and everything, we go over all the information that we've, we've gathered, and we come up with kind of a final game plan and send it out, and it's like, does anybody have any complaints on this, or anybody want to and that's how we eventually come to our, to our final thing. And we had the added thing this year that I was out in Reno over the Hall of Fame time, and I got to watch several really good teams bowl and uh, got to see Matt McNeil and the Lynn's Lakers Bowl minor events. Um, so I got to see some really good teams bowl, and uh, what's funny there is that I saw some really good teams playing the lanes pretty far apart, and it didn't turn out well for them. So it made me even more convinced that you had to be on top of each other. <laughs> but that sure didn't work for us. So uh, uh, just just one of those years, I guess. Well, exactly, Jeff. And then I guess just a, a question regarding that. So, you know, did when you saw Lodge Lanes 2 put up that big number, Obviously, you have to be thinking, wow, that, you know, they, they break a record at the tournament here. You know, the shots going up to then had, had been reasonably high, judging by the amount of folks that were out in, in Reno leading up until the tournament. I mean, it only really started picking up with fuller, you know, more, more teams on squads in, you know, April and May and such. And, and uh, you know, after, after uh, things got a little more hopping out there. Did you guys then, I mean, obviously a team like you thinks, okay, great. If they can do it, we can do it because we've, we've done it before. But did that make you guys? Did that have any bearing then on your game plan as to say, okay, there's because there's a lot, you know, it's pretty different to go out there and think, okay, if we shoot thirty four and a half, close to thirty five hundred, we're gonna, you know, we we're gonna be competing, or gonna be in the top five, or might even win an eagle. But to shoot thirty five, you know, thirty five plus, that's a, you know, your mindset has to be a little bit different going in there, where you start out under eleven hundred. It's almost like you're kind of behind behind the eight ball already. Oh yeah, um, I mean we, I mean we, we knew at the end of the first game that uh, we probably won't have, we didn't have much chance to win. But that's, you know, I, I don't want this to come off wrong, but I mean, we don't go out there thinking we're going to win or it's a failure if we don't win. I mean, only one team. There's only 14 Eagles giving out, given out in a year, and to win any of those is unbelievable. And it's not a failure, at least in my mind, to not win one. 
Um, you know, it's hurt the many years we've, I've got lots of seconds and thirds, lots of second and thirds. But I, as much as some of those hurt, I don't consider those to be failures. So that, that's not how we look at it, at least not me. I mean, you'd have to ask individually. The other guys, when they talk about it, they agree with me. So they might just be humoring me. But uh, I, I mean, the way I look at it is you just go out and do the best you can and let the chips fall where they may. And if you have a shot to get a lead, then hopefully you come through with it. But you basically, when you're bowling that team event, it's it's a nine-game team event to us. So that's just the first three games. So, I mean, we kept grinding all the way through, even as hard as we made the lanes the last game, as tricky as they were. We stopped 11.50 that last game, and we were still thinking, well, you know, you never know. We have a gigantic day tomorrow. We could shoot 3,500 twice. We've done that before. Um, so, I mean, we went out there. To me, the having the 3,500 up there kind of made it more relaxing than other years where there's a smaller score up there because it's not like, oh, boy, I know we can shoot that, you know, a smaller score. So you're pressing, to me, maybe a little bit more. In this case, it's like, well, hell, it's 3,500, you know. Let's just go out and bowl do the best we can. If we pop 1,100 the first game and the lanes transition right, well, then we'll make a run at it. And if not, you know, no big deal. It's, it's 3,500. It deserves to win. It's a giant score. You know, you can bowl on a house shot 10 times, and we might only shoot 3,540 you know, two or three times. So there's, to me, I was more relaxed heading into this year than many, many years where I felt like, boy, I know we can knock that score off. So I don't know if that makes sense, but to me it was a much more relaxing team event and, and then it became a, to start with, and then it just became a frustrating one. But, you know, and then it was like, okay, guys, let's just dig deep, get every pin we can because there's six more games tomorrow with the team all events out there. Yeah, and you know, personally, Jeff, I think you should be able to approach those tournaments as well as maybe even regionals and senior regionals, but in a more relaxed state because you've had some success. It's not like you've never won, and you know, it's not like you've proved your point. But, but again, you you've reaped the rewards of hard work and and team workmanship. Uh, now, in my opinion, you've always been a believer in process orientated as opposed to results orientated. Uh, does this mean you're a Dr. Dean disciple? Oh, uh, Dr. Dean is, um, I, I, I can't even come up with adjectives to, to say what I think of Dr. Dean. I think he's stupendous, marvelous, fantastic. Genius. Whenever, yes. yeah, whenever anyone says anything about, you know, my mental game, they have mental game questions, I always say, stop right now. Go look up Dr. Dean Hennitz on the Internet. Get his books, you know, pay for his services. He's the man. And I, I just, I couldn't recommend anyone more highly in the world than him. I think there's many, 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 many physical coaches that could be successful for many, many, many bowlers. I think that when it comes to the mental game, um, there's Dr. Dean, and and I can't even think of who number two is. No offense to whoever number two is. but I, I think it would I, be Dr. Dean once again. Yeah, I mean, he's, I mean, there's other guys that in the older, olden days, maybe back when I was starting, there were some other ones, but today, he's the only guy I would, I would recommend. I mean, that's just plain and simple. I think he's, he's just preeminent. So you, you pack up the car with 12 bowling balls, 16 bottles of Mountain Dew, two liter size, <laughs> I, I might <laughs> add. Uh, I mean, I don't know if there's any alcohol mixed in with, with that Mountain Dew for a later date or not, but. Regarding your 12 balls, it kind of intrigued me. I mean, 12 is a good number. I mean, personally, I think between 8 and 12 is a good number. 
Uh, do you have the majority of these spheres, storm products, I must add, pin distance from your PAP, say 10 of the 12 between 4 and 6 inches from your PAP? Well, um, let's see. Uh, well, I have enough VLS balls now where that pin gets way over to the right. Uh, I, I would say, and then I have a couple that are way left, that might be beyond six inches. So I would say if I'm the 12, and I also have a pin in the palm or two in there, so maybe it's half and half. You know, I have half pretty standard drillings, and then I have a couple of exotics, a pin in the palm, and a couple of VLSs. So I've so got a pretty good variety there. So, so you do have some pins in the early variety range, such as one, two, or three-inch pin distances? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Two and a half. I think the my two VLS balls are... Like one is two and a half, and the other one might be two and five eighths, or something like that. They'll be basically both two and a half. And uh, you know, I if, if we didn't have burn squads, uh, the, the, I, I'm not sure about the senior open. I'd have to look it up because I know the senior masters. There's three squads, and one of them is a burn squad. So you get one burn squad, two fresh squads, and the senior masters. So I basically have two balls that I'm bringing. And being that it's in a car, it's no big deal. I could bring two or three more probably, and we'd have room for them. But I I just don't see the need. Um, but basically, I have a couple of balls there that I probably wouldn't even bring if it wasn't for Burns Club. Jeff, I got a final question for you regarding the USBC Open, and this is more of a question on on how things are, are run down there. And, and I know there's been some some folks talking uh, regarding, you know, the, the amateur teams uh, that bowl really well are amateur in quotation marks there because they are, they are amateurs, they're not PBA members, but there's a lot of Team USA members on them and, uh, the, you know, uh, not take away from anyone's bowling, but um, it just seems like they're professional, but they're not professional teams. All they do is bowl in essence. Uh, do you, what, what are your thoughts on that? Because I understand there is a difference between the PBA members bowling the USBC Open versus a Team USA members bowling. But do you think the USBC should maybe look into limiting like they do uh, for even the PBA members at Kem Bowl, the, uh, the, the USBC Open? Should we maybe start uh, putting regulations on how many Team USA members can be on a team? Well, first off, I want to say that I never use the word amateur when it comes to bowling. There are PBA members and non-PBA members. But everybody bowls for money in bowling. And a lot of guys that are quote-unquote amateurs make more money than many professionals. So I never use, even league bowlers get prize money. They're not amateurs. It's not like golf. But beyond that, um, I am an advocate of a rule that would be similar to the way the team challenges were at the end, where they grouped bowlers into categories um, and had various rules for the various categories, or many categories. But it, it incorporated Team USA members, and it, differentiated between a PBA regional guy who, you know, let's face it, there's PBA regional guys who might bowl 50 regionals and cash twice, or, you know, they just have a PBA card, or they have a PBA card and they don't even bowl. They're like pro shop guys, basically, they might bowl one regional a year. And you can't put them in the same category as, say, me when I was 30 years old and was, you know, bowling 25 regionals a year and winning three or four. Um, and... You know, also then there's this category of the touring pros. Now, if it was my perfect world, and I had a long interview with Brian Lewis when I was out in Reno, and I'm going to be working on that story on the drive out to Vegas and hopefully posting it within the next two weeks um, where he's going to talk a little bit about the rules. So uh, I'm not going to give away what he had to say because you have to read that in my blog. But 
my personal view is that if you pay dues and you're a USBC member, you should be able to bowl in the USBC tournaments. That means Chris Barnes, Pete Weber, Walter Ray, whoever. If they're dues-paying USBC members, they should get the same rights as you and me, all of us, um, and they should be able to bowl in the tournament. Now, what I would do is I would probably make a rule that um, somebody like Sean Rash and Belmo and all these guys, Pete, they could only be one of them to a team. And if you had one of them on a team, no other PBA members, no other Team USA bowlers, basically that's their restriction. And, uh, of course, one of them to a doubles team. They couldn't bowl with any other Team USA or PBA regional guys. And, uh, you know, that top category would be the so-called exempt guys, people who won a title in the last, or been exempt in the last, say, three to five years. Then the next category would probably be anybody who's a PBA regional champion in the last three to five years. And I would throw into that category, too, anybody who's on Team USA um, and or any national team. You know, if, uh, you know, Matt Carlson comes over here and he's on Sweden or whoever you're going to think of, that somebody on England's team or Asia's team comes over, they're in that category, too. And that would be the current rule, two to a team, you know, one to a doubles pairing. And then you might have a third category, which would be everybody else. And uh, I would I would probably put PBA regional guys um, who say you'd, you'd have to figure some rule where they if they haven't won a title in the last, you know, two years or something, they get to be in a, a category below. So, you know, I would, I would categorize out people where I would find a way to let the touring pros bowl, the great ones, um, and then I would uh, find a way to include the Team USA guys in a category um, and gals where they um, face some restrictions because, let's face it, those guys are just probably better than, certainly better than a lot of PBA regional guys, probably better than everybody but the touring pros. And for anybody that protests about the touring pros bowling, let me remind you that most of the history of the ABC tournament, the USBC Oakland Championships, the Budweiser's, the Falstaff, the Hiles, all those teams bowled together. And uh, if we remember right, the Budweiser team, for example, is five guys who I think all ended up in the Hall of Fame, and they bowled for a living just like the touring pros do now. There just was no PBA tour then. So you're not going against the historical, um, you know, concept of the tournament to let to let those guys bowl in it. I, I just find it really unfair. And it might mean that I would have never won an Eagle, but, you know, how much sweeter would an Eagle I won have been when if they were in the tournament all those years? Well, Jeff, we'll look for that article with Brian Lewis, uh, 11thframe.com. We're going to check that out. And, uh, Jeff, want to thank you for the time and, and safe travels and best of luck as you uh, head out to Vegas. And uh, we'll be looking forward to your 11th Frame blog and you're following uh, kind of how the tournaments go for you out there. All right. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks for having me on.